everyone, this is Christine Deekers, your reader and host of Figurative Tuesday. By day, I'm a writer and marketer who works in tech, but what a lot of people don't know about me is that I love poetry. I believe poetry has this utilitarian power. It can save a person in a lonely hour, and for me in particular, it's sometimes the only thing that can really feed my spiritual appetite. So welcome to this episode of Figurative Tuesday, a poetry show aimed to energize as much as comfort. Each episode is less than 20 minutes, and I hope it gives you this moment of pause in your day. You'll hear me read a poem, and then I'll offer some thoughts as you transition back into your everyday. You know, as I came home from work today, and I got into my PJs, and I poured myself a glass of rosé, and I sat by my bay windows to look up to the sky, I realize I'm such a cliche. Nights where we have a full moon, or the nights leading up to a full moon, I really like to appreciate the sky and just look at it. I love giving myself the, you know, the deep reflection and the quiet reflection to just appreciate how beautiful the sky is or to take a moment to see the sunset. Um, And so I try to do that tonight, just knowing that this past week has been really crazy at work. Um, So I kind of think of looking at the full moon once a month as just like this indulgence that I have. But you know, when you think about poetry, it's so cliche to love a poem about the moon. But I thought tonight of all nights was a perfect way to really celebrate those types of poems. So that's why I really want to read E.E. Cummings' Cambridge Ladies, because it's one of my favorite poems about the moon. So here we go. The Cambridge Ladies Who Live in Furnished Souls by E.E. Cummings The Cambridge Ladies Who Live in Furnished Souls are unbeautiful and have comfortable minds. Also, with the church's Protestant blessings, daughters unscented, shapeless, spirited, they believe in Christ and Longfellow, both dead, are invariably interested in so many things. At the present writing, one still finds delighted fingers knitting for the, is it poles? Perhaps. While permanent faces coyly bandy scandal of Mrs. N and Professor D, the Cambridge ladies do not care above. Cambridge, if sometimes in its box of sky lavender and cornerless, the moon rattles like a fragment of angry candy. I think I think reading this poem about the moon and how it's this fragment of angry candy is a perfect poem to read on a night like this. You know, we're approaching February's full moon. I think it's officially tomorrow. And the full moon in February is often known as the snow moon or the hunger moon. And I think it was a great reason to recite this poem because of 
the hunger moon makes me think about my own spiritual appetite and how there are only certain things in life that can really satisfy that that feeling of not physical hunger or emotional hunger but like a spiritual hunger so to me in this poem E.E. Cummings does this really excellent job at directing his angst and frustration and resentment towards you know conventional thinking um, by creating these anonymous Cambridge ladies so I like to think about how how E.E. Cummings wrote this in 1923. He was only 29 years old. He had gone through a lot of stuff in his life. You know, he had already been in a POW. He had graduated from college. He was a practicing writer and poet. And he had also seen the carnage of World War I. So like many other people across the world who suffered from the war, he was just trying to piece back his own reality um, and un- make sense of the world after seeing something so devastating as World War One. And I think in some ways, when people first read The Cambridge Ladies, it's really easy to tap into that feeling of like teenage angst. But as we get older in life, um, and as I continue to read this poem, as I get older, I really appreciate how I can really channel my angst in a productive way. And I think that's what E.E. E. Cummings is doing in this poem as well. Um, I actually was surprised to learn that he was 29 because I, I would have thought he wrote this poem when he was like graduating from Harvard and kind of realizing that he wanted to get out of this you know, academic town where you know people were gossiping and couldn't even really think beyond their small-mindedness. So, you know, I love so many lines from this poem, particularly the first line in the phrase, who live in furnished souls. What I love about the word furnished is that, you know, it makes me think about when you rent an apartment and it already comes with furniture, it comes furnished. And it makes me kind of think you don't have to do the work of decorating or putting together or building the home. It kind of comes pre-packaged or um, put together. And I think that one word, furnished, really does so much work to explain that there are some people out there or in small communities or in life um, that don't think for themselves because it's really comfortable to not have to think for yourself or to question the status quo or to even be curious or inquisitive or to check your sources um, because it's easier just to believe what you're told. Um, And so I think that's what E. Cummings is trying to do with that, just that one word of furnished for to describe the furnished souls is to really encapsulate the small mindedness that a lot of people perpetuate. And, you know, when I, when I say this, I'm not even pointing any fingers here. I think that the reason why these Cambridge ladies are anonymous is that they're not, they're not specific people. I mean, I don't know. Maybe he was actually thinking about specific people in his life. But as a reader, I'm thinking these aren't specific people. Even um, the Mrs. N and the Professor D, like we don't even know who these real, these people are, these mentioned people. They're sort of anonymous. And so it makes me feel like 
you know, at times I can even be these a Cambridge lady who who has a furnished soul because I'm um, perpetuating thoughts that I've been told in the past versus doing the work to question. And I think that's what the the but like this is what E. Cummings is trying to do. At you know his job as a poet is to remind people that. While it's easy to have a comfortable mind, we still have to do the work to think and to question our surroundings. You know, I and I love what the poet does in this poem as well, which is really give us a relationship to space. You know, in the beginning of the poem, we're really clearly situated in what kind of feels like a drawing room in like Cambridge, Massachusetts. And then over the course of the poem, we learn about the ladies, the small, the town's small mightiness. We hear about the knitting. We hear about the gossip at, but between Mrs. N and Professor D, which seems to me to be like an affair. And then something suddenly happens in the poem. The poet yanks us out of the conventional scene of this drawing room or this social, this small social gathering. And then it pulls us out to to be a part of the sky or to be looking at the sky. But E.E. E. Cummings, he does it in such a nuanced and inventive way. So I actually really recommend that anyone who um, is listening now is act- just Google the poem, um, Cambridge Ladies by E.E. E. Cummings, because I, I really think it's great to be able to read this poem on the page while you hear it out loud. Um, because E. Cummings is a master of enjambment, which is basically another word that poets use for line breaks. Um, and he also creates sejura, which is sejura within the poem, which are um, pauses and um, breaking up a rhythm um, within a line, which can really create some interest to the way that you read something. But he uses both enjambment and sejura with, within the poem to um, do something really interesting. So I'll read it right now and then explain it. While permanent faces coyly bandy scandal of Mrs. N and Professor D, the Cambridge ladies do not care. Above Cambridge, if sometimes in its box of sky lavender and cornerless, the moon rattles like a fragment of angry candy. So if you're looking at the page right now, what you'll see is dot, 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 or let me go back. So scandal of Mrs. N and Professor D, line break, dot, dot, dot. The Cambridge ladies do not care, comma, above. And then suddenly we go into the next line, which is, which above Cambridge, if sometimes in its box of sky lavender and cornerless, which E. Cummings here is speaking of the moon. But in that line, dot, 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 the Cambridge ladies do not care above. That's the hinge of the poem. E. E. Cummings uses this one line to take us from the small mindedness and the conventional life of, you know, being a person of a small town like Cambridge. And then uses this moment of sejura and enjambment to not only say the Cambridge ladies do not care above, they do not care what's above them, what's beyond their own 
small-mindedness or their furnished lives or their comfortable their comfortable minds but what that what we're seeing here on the page is that we learn that the Cambridge ladies are not able they do not care about what's above and then suddenly as the reader we are transported to the above above Cambridge if sometimes in its box of sky lavender and cornerless the moon rattles like a fragment of angry candy. And this is where I think this is such the most beautiful example of how someone describes the moon in a poem because it does something that we don't expect. Instead of looking at the moon as as this object of desire or love, um, which is a cliche the moon the moon like has its own personality and desire the moon rattles like a fragment of angry candy as if these cambridge ladies who do not care above they do not care what's above them they're only concerned with their small lives and the gossip and the drama amongst their community they're not able to even look up and see what's beyond their what's beyond them and their own perspective and I think that like that is something that I I really love about this poem is that E.E. Cummings he's really speaking about the importance of gaining perspective in your life by going outside of your your own self outside of the convent convent oh sorry the conventional or the um, or even your hometown. Um, and, you know, in some ways I kind of use this poem to kind of think through my own life. It's like, oh, when do I act like a Cambridge lady? When do I think like a Cambridge lady? Versus when, when am I able to access that ability to kind of hover beyond myself and my community and, you know, my city and be able to see things from a greater perspective? Um, and so I think that's something that we can kind of walk away with is that is to be able to extract yourself from your current circumstances or from your privilege or from what you know and what you're comfortable with or what you're familiar with and then instead be able to see the world for its possibilities versus its you know pre-made packaging so I think that was a long ramble and I wasn't really expecting to talk about all that. Um, I'm also, while I'm reading these poems and kind of getting acquainted with having this medium of a podcast, I'm learning how to kind of, how to speak to, um, an audience or a group of people, um, that I don't know who might be, you know, I don't really know who might be listening. So I just, um, I'm learning during, in this process as much as, um, as, as much as it, it sounds like I'm definitely learning. So let me just read the poem one more time and then we can close out. The Cambridge Ladies Who Live in Furnished Souls by E.E. E. Cummings. The Cambridge ladies who live in furnished souls are unbeautiful and have comfortable minds. 
Also, with the church's Protestant blessings, daughters, unscented, shapeless, spirited, they believe in Christ and Longfellow, both dead, are invariably interested in so many things. At the present writing, one still finds delighted fingers knitting for the, is it poles? Perhaps. While, while permanent faces coyly bandy scandal of Mrs. N and Professor D, the Cambridge ladies do not care above. Cambridge, if sometimes in its box of sky lavender and cornerless, the moon rattles like a fragment of angry candy. Ugh. I, I could read that line, if sometimes in its box of sky lavender and cornerless, the moon rattles like a fragment of angry candy over and over and over and I feel like I have been reading those lines in my head over and over and over since I was like 16. So thank you so much for everyone's support um, for this podcast. It's a small but mighty audience of listeners um, and I'm really trying to just do this for, my, for myself so I have a pause within the week to reflect with poetry and to use it as um a meditative and therapeutic medium. Um, so thanks for kind of listening and hearing me ramble and hearing me stumble on my own words and hear my vocal fry and all of that. So um, I really hope you enjoyed this poem. I really recommend reading it to yourself and out loud and seeing it on the page. Um, And I'd also love to have more conversations about poetry with my friends and my new friends who are listening. So definitely drop me a line. You can go within the show notes to find easy links, but my handle on Twitter and Instagram is decouse. And if you want to follow the podcast, you can do so on Twitter with um, the handle is figurative twos. And I just want to say thanks to all my friends um, who responded on Facebook and really expressed their love of poetry too. Um, I think sometimes I forget that other people really love it because it can sometimes be a solid, like a practice of solitude. But I think poetry is really meant to be shared and experienced um, as a community. So um, I really love all the recommendations of all the poems that you guys sent my way. So um, keep listening. I'm going to continue to reach out to publishers to let them know that I want to read their poems and to get those like official permissions from them. So I'm, you know, doing things by the book as much as possible. Um, but I cannot wait to read you the works from poets like Nikki Giovanni and Maya Angelou and Kaveh Akbar and Langston Hughes and Robert Haas and Rosemary Waldrop and Adrian Rich and so many more. Um, what's so great about about poetry is there really is this infinite number of poems to read and maybe if I um you know gain the courage I might read one of my poems too so wherever you are at whatever time of day or night I hope you listen to this and know you are not alone I think there's a reason why poetry is one of the most most ancient art forms there is on the planet because its refrains have echoed throughout generations and I'm really, I'm really excited that I feel like in, in 2020, I think poetry is, is kind of coming back and that people are, are reaching for it because they need that comfort. 
especially within our political landscape and everything, poetry can really be a place we get the comfort and the inspiration and the energy to come together. So thank you for listening to Figurative Tuesday. Cambridge Ladies Lived in Furnished Souls by E.E. Cummings is um, under public domain. So this podcast was recorded using Anchor in my living room in the city of San Francisco, which is located on Ohlone land. Thanks for joining me on Figurative Tuesday. Good night.